Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one feisty page of Talmud every day. And folks, in today's pages, to about 65 and 66, comes the story, the likes of which you only hear every now and then, or, you know, frequently if you watch, say, the Real Housewives franchise, but you don't expect it from a page of Talmud. Have a listen. The Gemara relates, Abaya's wife, Homa, came before Rava after Abaya died, as Rava was the local judge. She said to him, apportion sustenance for me, as I am entitled to be sustained by Abaya's heirs. Rava apportioned sustenance for her. She subsequently said to him, apportion wine for me as well. Rava said to her, I know that Nachmani, meaning Abaya, did not drink wine. Since you are not accustomed to drinking wine during your husband's lifetime, you're not entitled to it after his death. She said to him, by the master's life, this is not correct. In fact, he would give me wine to drink in cups as large as this. She gestured with her hands to show how large the cups were. While she was showing him the size of the cups, her arm became uncovered. And she was so beautiful that it was as though a light had shined in the courtroom. Rava arose, went home, and requested intercourse from his wife, the daughter of Rav Chisda. The daughter of Rav Chisda said to him, uh, just now in the courtroom. Noticing his unusual behavior, she suspected that there must have been a woman in the court. He said to her, Homa, Abaya's wife, was there. Upon hearing this, Rava's wife went after Homa and struck her with the lock of a chest until she drove her out of the entire city of Mechoza, saying to her, you have already killed three men, as Abaya was your third husband, and now you come to kill another one, my husband Rava? Since you showed him your beauty, he will want to marry you. This reads so much like The Real Housewives of Mechoza. And since I am a very big devotee of The Real Housewives franchise and, and of all the big, serious sociological questions it raises, I figured I would call on a dear friend, a wise teacher, and a fellow Real Housewives fan, Tablet Magazine's editor-in-chief, Alana Newhouse. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm an aspiring housewife, is what I am. <laughs> it's never too late to be a real housewife, is what I keep telling myself. No, listen. It feels it feels like it's getting too late, especially when I hear a story like this. It feels like the time for this kind of energy is passing me by. You know, there's so much about the story that we, we could really spend a lot of time dissecting. I feel like it will take 17 Andy Cohens to really unpack what is going on here. But the one thing that I really kind of am curious by, and I don't do this frequently on the show. I don't frequently subject the Talmud to this kind of modern reading of the ancient text, but... I'm remembering that this story is written and recorded by men. And in this very particular case, here are men opining on, commenting on, uh, reflecting upon the relationships between women, uh, which is a topic that I suspect was no more clear to men, even the wisest men back then, as it is unclear to us now. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Um, I think that this is a male fantasy of female interaction. And in fact, when you think about it, it's rather touching. I mean, it's nuts um, and seems fascinating in how florid it is. But underneath it all, it strikes me that it, what it is, is it's a, it's a sense of men believing and wanting women to be almost murderously protective of them. And that that's the ultimate fantasy. So that a woman would be so protective of her husband 
that she would chase another woman out of town, physically assault her. And in this case, it wasn't for the act of stealing my man, actually. It was for the act of endangering him, which strikes me as the really insightful part of it, if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, that's the part that struck me as, as so weird. She's basically saying, you will kill him rather than saying like, well, you know, you're going to take him away and, and seduce him with your beautiful, brilliant arms. Right. What is that about? What, what lies at the heart of this? It's almost like kind of a, a death drive overcoming sex drive. Right. I mean, I, I, but what I also find fascinating about it is, is that the implicit in it is the idea of male naivete and almost stupidity about sex, right? So this idea that her husband didn't even understand what was motivating his own desires. She had to pick up on everything. She who wasn't even in the courtroom intuited the whole story without even having been there or knowing one bit of fact. And then after intuiting all of that, she then has to go and clean up the potential incoming mess. All literally in seemingly in minutes before any of this even occurred to him as having been operative. Right. He's just basically, even though he's one of the, you know, wisest rabbis of the Talmud, he's basically portrayed as an urge machine, right? He sees an arm, he gets aroused, he demands sex. He doesn't seem to have any agency or or understanding, which is interesting that men would write themselves this way, but also interesting. and, And this is something that I wonder if you could touch a little bit more on that men's understanding of how relationship between women work, even if you set aside this sort of protective fantasy, this notion that a relationship between two women is necessarily fraught, right? Which gives birth to this whole notion of a cat fight, which seems to be something that still goes on very strongly. In fact, again, that entire Real Housewives franchise is predicated precisely on this notion. What's going on here? Is this just something uh, that we've constructed to keep you down? Or is this some kind of weird insight looking for a better formulation? I mean, look, Bravo has made hundreds of millions of dollars on the manifestation of these dynamics. So it's hard for me to say that they're not real or that they're superficial. But for me, the much more interesting and deeper message behind this vignette is that women have a fundamental and in some senses reflexive understanding of sexual dynamics that men don't have which I think is true. And I think that they're getting at something that is true. It manifests itself in petty and silly, funny anecdotes, but underneath it, there's a sense that there's something about the emotional interplay between human beings that happens when sex or lust is operative that women simply have a channel to, a more immediate understanding of. And I think that what the Talmud is doing is highlighting that in those moments, chances are the woman is going to understand. She's going to look out at that uh, landscape and understand exactly what just happened in ways that none of the men will. Or in ways rather that will take the men a much longer time to figure out. It will take the men the entire, literally the entire Talmud to figure out. Correct. Alana Newhouse, thank you then for coming on the show and doing a woman's job of illuminating what I couldn't possibly understand by myself. (laughs) You're welcome.
This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Rusquet and Quinn Waller. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Mark Oppenheimer, Sarah Fredman-Ader, Robert Scaramuccia, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You can find us on Twitter at takeone.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic and we will see you again soon. Thank you.